0: It's time to take the quiz. 5 questions, 5 minutes a day, 5 days a week.
1: Take the quiz every weekday at the quiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course listen to the quiz at the quiz.fox.
2: From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hi everyone, Brian Kilmeade here. So glad you're with us too. Uh, In about an hour, the president will be speaking at the United Nations. What's noteworthy? No Russian, Vladimir Putin. No President Xi of China. Actually, the UK president, not there. uh, uh, President, they're not either. Not there either for different reasons. But it's part of the, I think, division of the world. I I think the G12. uh, You saw what happened. uh, You saw what happened last week, two weeks ago, with the G12. Uh, President Xi just did not even show up. And now you see what's going on with the uh, with the United Nations. It doesn't surprise me. So we're going to hear from the president about an hour. I'm sure he'll talk about climate change, climate change and green technology. But it it'll also probably bring up hostage taking, which we just paid a huge ransom for. Before we get to that and Robert O'Brien, who's standing by, knows all about getting hostages back. And Senator John Cornyn at the bottom of the hour. Let's get to the big three.
4: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
0: Number three.
4: These Iranian monies that were uh, in in a Korean bank have always been available to Iran to use for humanitarian purposes. And we have absolute confidence in the process and the system that's been set up.
3: Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, Iran gets their billions unfrozen from their criminal from their criminal citizens released from American jails. Uh, then, of course, would they kick out weapons inspectors and they get a prime spot at the U.N. lectern? Is this any way to treat a terrorist state? Joe Biden and Anthony Blinken, the answer to them seems to be yes.
1: Number two, Mr. Speaker, how sure are you that you can keep the government open? Look,
5: like I am sure that I will continue to fight all the way through because the one thing i have learned through the years if government gets shut down it empowers the administration
3: all right there you go kevin mccarthy speaker of the house shutdown looms as the right fractures on extended talks they just wanted to get a cr until october 31st the republicans can't even agree on that gandhi and Nelson mandela might not be able to settle the gop struggle we're going to show you the stakes seven days in counting
6: Number one. Republicans having won the big win that they'd waited for for years when the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade have had, now had a terrible time figuring out where to land as a party on the issue of abortion, and, and Democrats have clearly gained ground on it.
3: Brett Hume weighs in. Uh, 2024, a panic building among the Dems and anti-Trumpers that Joe Biden cannot win and might even not survive a second term should he win. Meanwhile, Trump, Haley, and Scott all beat President Biden head to head and Trump feels some rumblings after his somewhat flexible stand when it comes to abortion and the Ukraine war. First things first. Robert O'Brien joins us now. Uh, we know uh, Robert's had great success getting Americans home in dire circumstances. Uh, great former National Security Advisor under Donald Trump. Um, Robert, welcome back.
7: Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good to be here in New York for the anger.
3: Yeah. Oh, so you're here in town. I did not know that. i, I I'm in town. All right, I'll Did be it head-
7: me it be, be, you know, I would come over to the studio in person.
3: All right, how long are you going to be in town for?
7: Uh, this is, I'm heading back to California today.
3: Okay, you got to go back to the land where the smash and grabs are plentiful. Uh,
7: <laughs> it's, it's, it's terrible.
3: From what I know about this exchange, you, you guys, under the Trump administration, froze in 2019 $6 billion worth of oil revenue in South Korea. So don't give it to them. And then, in turn, they get the $6 billion unfrozen, put into a Qatari bank, and then they get their six people back. We get our six people back, including a family member, so technically seven. We don't even know who three of them are. Is this a good deal, Robert O'Brien?
7: Well, it's a good deal for the folks who are coming home. No question. I welcome the the fact that Americans are coming home. That's always something we should celebrate. But as far as the deal itself, it's a terrible deal, Brian. I mean, when you look at hostage deals, you look at two things. One— if we pay ransom, do we create a market for future hostage taking? So we've just put a billion dollar price tag on a US passport, you know, one one billion dollars for hostage. So you think terrorist organizations and rogue states like China and Russia have been engaged in this sort of activity, Iran, which will do it again. Now that they know we'll pay a billion dollars on hostage, of course, they're gonna take more Americans. And then number two, Brian, you have to look at where's the money going? And we know the money is fungible. the The Iranian president already said he'll use it however he wants. He's laughed at Anthony Blinken's comment about it being used for humanitarian purposes. As supposedly it's supposed all going to go for chemotherapy for kids in Tehran Children's Hospital. That, that that's just a lie. It's going to go for drones. They're going to attack Ukrainians and kill Ukrainians. It's going to go to Hamas and and jihadists in the West Bank and Gaza to kill Israelis. It's going to go to Lebanon and Syria to kill people with Hezbollah and. And the Assad regime, is going to to Hezbollah in, in Iraq and the Houthis in Yemen, to kill our partners. And so, this money is going to create death and destruction, and it's going to put a price tag on Americans traveling overseas. So it's a really terrible deal, and it's a, it's a shame that it happened. Although you know, we welcome the Americans who are coming home, of course.
3: I mean, look, uh, they said they set up restrictions with this bank; they can only take a with they can only use a withdrawal slip and get the money from the Qatari bank if they show it's for humanitarian purposes. And you know, even if they did. So what you do is all the money that would go to low-income housing in Iran that the government might supply, now you get that money, give it to low-income housing, you use that other money for your terror operations. But still, the Secretary of State was unprepared to answer that question. Listen, cut 21.
4: These Iranian monies that were uh, in in a Korean bank have always been available to Iran to use for humanitarian purposes. But for a lot of technical reasons, they weren't able to access those funds where they were, so the funds were moved uh, to uh, another bank where we have absolute oversight of how they how they're used, and they can only be used for humanitarian purposes. And we have uh, absolute confidence in the process and the system that's been set
3: up. But he couldn't explain it. And if the Qataris were also hold on to the Bergdahl five, remember Bo Bergdahl was exchanged for those five Taliban uh, from Gitmo, and they're back now running. Afghanistan. So what 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 uh, what precedent do we have here?
7: Well, what we should do is, is play for Secretary Blinken. Your explanation that money is fungible. The, the fact is the the Iranian president said he'll use the money however he wants to. And it's the people of Iran's money. He'll he'll spend it on arms or terror or whatever malign foreign policy he wants. And, and you're right. He'll just take he'll, he'll use that money to buy hospital supplies or baby formula. And then use the money that the government was previously spending for the, those items. And it gives it on arms. So money's fungible. We've just funded the Iranian regime, uh, which is the state equivalent of ISIS. It's the Islamic Republic of Iran. And it's the biggest state sponsor of terrorism in the world. And we've just funded it to $6 billion. So this is a terrible deal. It, it, it's bad for, for the hostage diplomacy world in in, in general. But it also it's another example of American weakness. It follows on the spy balloon. It follows on Afghanistan. It, it falls on not deterring Russia from invading Ukraine, and it's just another sign of the the, the the bad guys in the world, the dictators and despots, that America is is weak, and we're not weak, but we we sure as heck
3: look weak. Wow, Robert O'Brien, with me. So Donald Trump put this on Truth Social. Uh, I brought 58 hostages home from many different countries, including North Korea, and I've never paid anything. They all understood they must let these people come out. Towards the end, it got to got so. The countries didn't even start the conversation asking for money because they knew they would not get it. Once you pay, you always pay, and many more hostages will be taken. Our grossly incompetent leader, Crooked Joe Biden, gave $6 billion for five people. Iran got zero for five. He's dumb as a rock. Uh, roughly, that number is really... Uh, attributed to you. You led that, and that led you to replace John Bolton as National Security Advisor.
7: Well, that's, uh, that's very kind of you to say, but when, when the things go well for the country, the president should get the credit, and the president deserves the credit for his hostage policies and, and the negotiations. And look, look the, uh, the when I first took over as a hostage envoy, the Iranians came back to us to the third-party government and said, you know how much it costs to get these hostages out? And they were referring to the JCPOA, where we paid hundreds of millions of dollars for hostage. I I told that country's ambassador to go back and and tell the Iranians, we're not paying for hostages. That's not how Donald Trump rolls, and uh, you're going to let people out. We ended up getting three hostages out of Iran and and many other places. And uh, even even the left, even the the people who hated Donald Trump, had to admit that his hostage policy was was an unparalleled success. And... No one had ever seen anything like it in the history of the U.S., and uh, I I'm, I'm, you know, try to play a small part in that.
3: Last question on, on this. Mike McCall said yesterday, and Jackie Heimer couldn't get an answer today, our reporter, that Saudi Arabia broke off talks with Israel right after this was announced. And the Abraham Accords were done partly because you guys did such a good job isolating and showing you were sincere in saying that Iran is the problem. Whether you think Saudi—I'm not saying Saudi Arabia is Ireland. Nobody thinks that but they are a better alternative and have a longer uh, legacy with us dating back to FDR uh, than Iran does uh, since, their, since their revolution in 1979. Don't you think those two are related? Michael McCall, Chairman of Foreign Relations in the House, thinks so. Do you think so?
7: Well, there's no questions related. And one of the brilliant pieces of, of diplomacy in the Trump administration was the Abraham Accords. And, again, I had a small part in that, and so I saw up front that Bibi Netanyahu and, and the Crown Prince of the UAE and the King of Bahrain and King of Morocco and the leaders in Sudan and, and in fact even the leaders in Kosovo wanted to come together against Iranian influence and that was one of the driving forces of the Abraham Accords. Now you see when you, when you see the Saudis watch us paying the Iranian six billion dollars and and showing utter weakness, uh, they, they they start to worry about the the value of the partnership with the United States and then whether we'll back up our partners in the region. And that includes Israel, because, look, a lot of that money, we all know the money that Iran got is going to go to building rockets and and missiles that can attack Israel. So it it undermines confidence in the process and and our diplomacy in the Middle East. It opens the door for Russia and China to come in and and offer to guarantee security for Saudi Arabia. That's a a false guarantee, but it it gives them a a big opening. And that's another reason why this whole, whole deal is a disaster.
3: You don't do politics, but it's impossible to know what's the panic on the left with President Biden, Uh, his policies, his approval rating under 40 percent, the way he's moving around the globe, his speech in Hanoi, his refusal to give interviews. And now President Trump, Senator uh, Tim Scott, as well as uh, Governor Nikki Haley, just beat him head to head in in a recent poll. In Haley's case, two polls ago, she was up by five points. Do you think Democrats have reason to panic looking at the world stage, which is a lot of your focus?
7: Well, uh, look, the Democrats are not just looking at the world stage. They're looking at $5 and $6 gas uh, around the country. They're, they're looking at inflation. They're looking at 8% uh, home mortgage rates so Young young people, like you know, kids, my kids' age, can't afford to buy a home uh, because of the interest rates are so high. And then you just compound that with the, the catastrophe in Afghanistan, the spy balloon, the the Ukraine war and and the hostage deal and they understand that something's fundamentally wrong with the country. And then that's going to be the the detriment of the current president. There's no question about it. And I've always said the Republicans have a deep bench. We've got the former president who's almost running as an incumbent, uh, Donald Trump, who's got a record. He He can stack his record up against President Biden's. And they can talk about Bidenomics, but look at the interest rates, look at the inflation rate, look at the gas price. It's pretty easy for an uh, American its not some fancy economist from Harvard to understand you know, who had the better economic policies. You can look at the foreign policies, which were unparalleled successes under, under President Trump. But then you look at the Republican bench, and, uh, look, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Nikki Haley or Tim Scott on a ticket with President Trump. Uh, the, the Republicans have a great bench, and you're looking at the Biden-Harris administration, that looks pretty weak right now. So I, if I was a Democrat, I'd panic. And I, I think there's probably going to be a movement to replace uh Uh, President Biden with with Gavin Newsom or or Gretchen Whitmer, or Gina Raimondo pretty soon.
3: And I'm going to get you to weigh in what kind of uh, governor Gavin Newsom is. So I think you should sober people up to that because he does look the part. But man, his policies are terrible. Uh, First off, Robert, you did something I think is really important. Uh, For people, uh, this next generation, they grew up, like it or not, in schools being told the world is coming to an end. Climate change is real. And we're the cause of any hurricane that happens and when the wind blows a lot. So you put together and for now it's on um, the column is now up on uh, Fox Business. America first climate agenda. What would it be?
7: Well, first of all, we have to understand that the Chinese are attempting to to hijack the future. Uh, They've they've stolen or bought American technology, solar technology, which was developed during the the Gemini and Apollo programs, uh, the the great victories of American space. Uh, The Chinese are now dominating solar. They're dominating wind. They're trying to dominate nuclear. That was all U.S. technology that they stole or bought uh, on the cheap. They're, They're producing it at low prices, dumping it back here and in the West and trying to put American companies out of business. So that at the end of the day, everyone will be dependent on China for for clean energy, and uh, we we can't have that happen. They're also doing the same thing with rare earth minerals. They they tied up the supply chains all over the world, including in the mines in the U. S. that that mine rare earths and then we send them to China to be processed. And those those are the, the elements that we need to build, you know, batteries and and chips and and the new technologies of the future. So number one, we got to make sure that China can't steal and and. Uh, and dump its way into leadership in, the, in critical new technologies. Number two, we've got to have and all of the above energy policy. We've got to have nuclear, which is clean and safe. And if you're a climate change activist, you ought to be you know pitching for nuclear Absolutely. like crazy. it's it's cheap, it's safe, and it's it's American made. And that's what France has nuclear power. It's one of the reasons the Russians can't lever lever them with their natural gas. And uh, so we need nuclear. We need fossil fuels aren't going away. We we extract them the cleanest in the world. We refine them the cleanest in the world. We've got the EPA. Uh, we need to, to have American energy independence and, and uh, extract our energy here to make sure that we're not dependent on foreign powers like Iran or Russia for our LNG and, and gas. And, and then third, you know, we, we need to, to tariff the Chinese, put tariffs on the Chinese, they're the biggest polluters in the world. So it doesn't matter how how, many, how much our carbon emissions decrease in America, they're building a new coal plant every month. And, and polluting the air and then the you know the, the world's global the, the pollution goes up in China and it ends up, up, you know, over over America. So if, and they dump garbage in the Pacific. So if they're gonna continue being these these climate scoff laws, they've gotta be tariffed and sanctioned until until they start acting responsibly. And, and that's the only way we're gonna have any, any positive effect on CO two emissions in, you know, a clean, cleaner world.
3: And that's exactly what they should be messaging on the debate on the twenty seventh. And uh, rather than just saying it's not real or is real, get into detail about the rare earth and some of the transitions and who's controlling it and get America to mine their own rare earth. We have it here. Stop saying it. You can't to, have it both ways. You can't right. have your electric car and refuse to mine in America. Forget we, it.
7: We, 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 we got all, all the lithium we need. We can we can mine our own lithium. We can mine our own rare earths. We can process them here right. and between Australia and Greenland, which is owned by Denmark. Uh, the Danish territory. We've got all the rare earths we need. We don't have to be reliant on China. You're 100% right,
3: Brian. Robert O'Brien, and you're 100% right to join us. I'm glad your schedule allowed this to happen. Robert O'Brien, thanks so much. Don't get in trouble in New York.
2: Hey, thanks for
7: having me on the show.
3: All right, uh, back in a moment. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Kudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Kudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
0: What we will do, Republican or Democrat, over the long term, is we're going to give them everything it takes short of U.S. troops on the ground there. So we should do it now because the only difference is death and destruction, more death and destruction more separation, longer separation of families, more psychological damage, inevitably, more that will come to our shores in terms of, of, of deficit. And so, you know, I've never voted Republican. I'm, I'm unlikely ever to vote Republican. I would like to see the Democratic Party, the president, look at this in a very realistic and bold way and get this thing over.
3: So, I, I you know, I, I don't know what's happened to the world, but... You know, Sean Penn, who praises Castro, who meets with Julio Cesar Chavez uh, and pretends he's a journalist and goes after El Chapo. I totally agree with him on Ukraine. He pumped out this documentary. He saw what's happening on the ground, got a chance to know Zelensky, and he's got a real world look with this documentary. I've only seen clips, but I saw more of it with Sean Hannity last night on television And he's upset with the Biden administration for slow walking all these weapon systems and sees how unnecessary it is for all these people to die and how we have to continue to support them. I agree with him. Maybe you don't. And that's okay. but I'm willing to debate it. And I'll bring it up with Senator John Cornyn next. So, uh, listen, I like Bill Maher and Sean Penn. What's happening to me?
2: radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
0: We're now, by the end of the Biden administration, somewhere between 12 and 15 percent of the entire population will be here illegally. And and the media is complicit because it, they're part of the propaganda machine that's allowing it to happen. When a Republican takes office in 2024, and I believe they will, this border will be shut down in a week. You just turn it over to Texas. We'll get it done for you. Just give us the job. We know how to do it. But well, Biden and wants we to keep to the. We have to stop this far Ma- because we're losing the country.
3: And he's not lying. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick of Texas, seeing what's happened, thousands came in last night. They stormed the border again. Senator John Cornyn knows all about it. He's in Judiciary, Finance, and Intelligence Committees, Banking. Uh, he's a ranking member on the Subcommittee on Border Security and Immigration. Uh, Sense of the frustration that I ta- that I see in New York among Democrats, overwhelming the streets and uh, and left wing liberals like AOC, who say the key would be getting them jobs. I have never seen it so bad. I have to think it's intentional and not just incompetence. What do you think?
7: Well, there's
8: an old saying that never attribute to malevolence that can be explained. By mere incompetence, but I think to your point, uh, this has gotten so bad that it's, I think it's intentional. And um, it is, you know, you talk about frustration. Um, I'm not just frustrated anymore, I'm angry. Angry because I'm, you know, reading stories like I did this morning in the New York Times documenting forced child labor. Um, and uh in 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 American companies yes these the 300,000 children have been have been lost by the Biden administration they can't tell you where they are whether they're going to school whether they've been sexually assaulted or neglected or whether they're in forced labor and they don't seem to care because if they did they would they would do something about it
3: but I mean, if you see Chuck Schumer, I have this guy on tape with Harry Reid saying we got to reform our immigration system. We have to have we have to have border control. And that what happened to that guy in the '90s? Now all of a sudden they're like, let's just not talk about it, like, you know. And the first one they say you're anti-Hispanic, and then that that blew by the boards because the Hispanic vote slowly is going to the Republicans, and the, the Hispanic community doesn't see it that way. Or as Mark Levin told me this morning. He believes that they're trying just to turn Texas blue, and this is their way to do it.
8: Yeah, well, it's it's not going to work. <clears throat> As you pointed out, the uh, Hispanic community, which traditionally has been leaning toward Democrat, is trending uh, in the Republicans' direction because of the values issue. I mean, they understand the importance of border security. You know, I support legal, humane um, and uh, an orderly immigration. I think it's been one of the important things that's made our country so prosperous and so great. But turning this over to the cartels that care nothing about these migrants, who, many of whom are, are assaulted or die in route, um, the unaccompanied children I mentioned a moment ago that have simply been lost to the Biden administration, and then the 108,000 Americans who died of drug overdoses last year, including 71,000 from fentanyl. Uh, It's just it's outrageous, and I don't know what it's going to take. I keep asking myself, how bad does it have to get before the Biden administration does something? So I think you have to conclude this is intentional because if they wanted to do something, they could, but they
3: clearly don't. Well, yeah, they've done a couple of things. They sued Texas to get rid of the border barrier in the (laughs) Rio Grande, and then they sued Arizona to get rid of the makeshift... Uh, border that they put together with the uh, with those containers those storage containers that Brian Ducey, that Brian Ducey, uh, yeah, that Governor Ducey put out there. So what is going on? It just it's almost as if our enemies are are in control because Russia and China and Iran couldn't have scripted it any better. We have one hundred and twenty countries streaming through your border and Texas right. and New Mexico and California who don't seem to care but now New York is being overwhelmed. Can you imagine 84,000 people just laying in the streets? Yeah,
8: well, I'm I'm, I'm glad that finally the mayor of New York and other other Democrat office holders are speaking up. Uh, we've been living with this for years now, and uh, it's just outrageous, but I guess, uh, you know, the Biden administration has just written off Texas and doesn't care what uh, 30 million Texans think about this. But now, obviously, it's extended throughout the country. And again, it's not just the migrants, it's uh, which are up to now roughly 10,000 a day. You know, we thought that uh, after Title 42, the, the COVID uh, public safety uh, order was in place when that was lifted, that there would be a surge. But these cartels, these uh, human smuggling organizations are pretty smart, and they realize that if we sort of make sure that there's not a surge after Title 42 goes down, we can gradually begin to ramp up again, which they have now done, and uh, we're seeing 10,000 people a day at the border, which is is millions if you uh, if you chart if you extrapolate that over a year.
3: So we're talking to Senator Cornyn. So you support this CR that would include additional border security uh, that the that Kevin McCarthy is going to put out there to his people, right?
8: Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I think this is a point of leverage where, uh, you know, maybe this is where we can finally get something important done. I know my friends over in the House have been working on this issue for a long time. Um, But, you know, to show you how the sort of the air of unreality over here, Senator Durbin, chairman of the Judiciary Committee, who I have asked numerous times to bring bills in that committee, which is the Committee of Jurisdiction, the Senate. And he talks about going back to the Gang of Eight Bill. And I said, well, when was that? He said, well, it was Lindsey Graham said, that was 10 years ago. But they're still living in a fantasy world where they think that this Gang of Eight Bill, which did get the votes in the House, and the Senate, not with my vote, and but did not come up in the House, that this is somehow the answer. So they are living in a fantasy world. And uh, meanwhile, uh, a lot of Americans, a lot of people are suffering and dying.
3: It's uh it's Senator, it's as bad as I've ever seen it and it's so overwhelming. I can't I can't make up my mind what's your bigger disaster, the way we left Afghanistan, or what is happening at the border. You've been here a long time. This is cataclysmic for our country.
8: Absolutely. Well, you mentioned Afghanistan, Brian. I mean we're not respected around the world. Um and the latest, you know, paying ransom six Billion dollars to the Iranians to release five American citizens. I, I, I'm glad for their families. I'm glad for these Americans that they can come home. But it's an invitation for more hostage taking because uh, clearly, uh, you know, we're willing to pay for, pay for those hostages. So it's not a solution to that problem. Meanwhile, the, the Iranians continue to. To, to, uh, to, to build toward a, a nuclear weapon capacity. And the sanctions that we supposedly had in place to deter them from doing that have gradually sort of fallen by the wayside. So whether it's Afghanistan, whether it's uh, you know, Iran, uh, North Korea, uh, I think the reason why Putin thought he could go into uh, Ukraine and the shot would not be fired is because he saw what the Taliban was allowed to do in Afghanistan. Thank goodness, uh, President Zelensky and the brave Ukrainians, who believe right. in defending their own country, or have 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 stayed in the fight. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a mess.
3: So uh, I understand the Saudis no longer speaking to Israel about normalizing relations, and uh, Michael McCall believes it's directly your fellow Texan, directly related to us giving them six billion dollars of unfrozen funds, and unfreezing those funds, and then giving them these hostages in exchanges. So Secretary Blinken wanted to, was asked about how are you possibly going to enforce that Iran would not use the $6 billion for anything but humanitarian purposes? They deny there's any restrictions at all. Listen to him, cut 21.
4: These Iranian monies that were uh, in, a, in a Korean bank have always been available to Iran to use for humanitarian purposes. But for a lot of technical reasons, they weren't able to access those funds where they were. So the funds were moved uh, to uh, another bank where we have absolute oversight of how, they, how they're used, and they can only be used for humanitarian purposes. And we have uh, absolute confidence in the process and the system that's been set up.
3: Have you been briefed on that process and system?
4: No, no, and
8: I, I don't believe it exists. And even if it did exist, this administration is so incompetent I don't think, I have no confidence that will actually be uh, monitored, plus Brian, this, this money's fungible, I mean this, they, you know, they can all use this six billion dollars, let's say they had, did for a humanitarian purpose, it would offset money, the other money that they would spend for, um, you know, for their terrorist activities, this is the number one state sponsor of terrorism in the world, and we're, we're uh, making it worse.
3: So, Senator, uh, where do you say – so is the goal now just to hold on tight until 2024 and hope for the best?
8: Well, I, I certainly am hoping for the best in 2024, but I think, you know, it's the, – the the political world's a little confusing right now, um, and I think. But I think things will sort out as we get closer to 2024. And certainly I think our prospects of getting the majority back in the Senate – are good, and uh, that's, that's, a, that's a good start. And, of course, we hope the House, we can hold on, and then we hope that we can uh, take back the White House so we can save our country, because the path that the Biden administration has us on now is leading us to, to disaster, and uh, right. we got to turn it around.
3: In New York Times, Washington Post, different columns over the last four days about Joe Biden's age and ability to do the job, let alone do it well. Jonathan Martin, hardly a, a right-wing pundit, Politico said this on This Week with George Stephanopoulos. Cut seven.
8: It is remarkable to see what Democrats will say in private versus in public about Joe Biden, about Kamala Harris. You played the Pelosi clip earlier, which is a taste of what Democrats say in private about Kamala Harris. But there, there is a remarkable cynicism when it comes to Biden's reelection and Democrats in Washington state capitol.
3: If anyone talks to people behind the scenes at Senator Cornyn, do you see uh, People saying about Joe Biden and seeing the failures, the annoyed press conference, uh, the falling downstairs and things like that.
8: Yeah, everybody, everybody can can see what's what's going on. And nobody's ever really believed that Joe Biden was actually in control of what's happening at the White House. He's got a bunch of Obama staff retreads who now, I think, basically control what what happens at the White House and gives Joe Biden the talking points. And uh, that he, you know, that he stumbles through. Uh, But um, I think I think Joe Biden is showing showing his age. Um, And uh, a lot of Democrats realize that uh, he's not a particularly strong candidate to have on the ballot as their representative in uh, 2024.
3: So right now, Donald Trump's leading by 40 points or 50 points. You, what's your take, knowing that the Iowa caucuses are January we're still in september uh we'll go looking at another debate where where's Senator John Cornyn's loyalties
8: well, I'm watching like everybody else i i you know i I worry about all the uh basic the, the 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 litigation the charges that have been made and what the impact of those will will have I know some of the on some Trump. The, uh yeah, and, and the folks, like, for example, in Georgia, and I know some of them have asked for a quick trial, and they're entitled to that under the law, and the sorts of things that may come out during the course of that litigation. But, um, you know, I love my country, and I, I want us to be strong and successful and continue to lead, and ultimately i got to put my trust in uh, the American people uh, when they cast their ballot to see what's going on and um, and change things if they if they uh, if they're not happy with the way things are now, which I believe is the case.
3: Have you decided? Have do you want to see a Trump a return to the Trump administration?
8: I want to win, um, and that's to me. I hate. I know that sounds a little crass, but the truth is, you don't get any prizes in politics for coming in second place, and you can't set the agenda, and you can't govern, you can't lead. And we need uh, we need to change the leadership in this country, in the House and the Senate. Excuse me, in the Senate and the White House. If we're going to restore our country to um, to its previous prosperity and strength, which I think is absolutely critical, so we got to win an election. So I'm I'm for who can win in November of 2024.
3: Understood. Uh, Senator John Cornyn, uh, lastly, I know it's you just have to watch at this point, but are we looking at a government shutdown? You guys have done your appropriations bills, waiting for the House to do something. I know you support the CR up until October 31st, but do you, uh, you think we're heading to a shutdown?
8: Well, I think it depends on what uh, Kevin McCarthy can do. I've been honestly very impressed uh, with uh, Speaker McCarthy's ability to cobble together uh, legislation, you remember what he did on the uh, uh, the debt ceiling vote, where he got uh, half of the half of the Republicans in the House had never voted, had never been in the majority before, but he got all of them to vote for that bill, which changed the momentum. So I think if he can send us a, a continuing resolution, uh, we're well on our way to stopping a, a government shutdown. But you know, this is all intentional. Senator Schumer didn't put the appropriations bills in the Senate on the floor until 18 days before the end of the fiscal year. So it's impossible for us to actually do our work in an orderly, transparent basis. And so if there is a shutdown, I'm I'm calling it the Schumer shutdown.
3: Senator John Cornyn, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. You got it, 1-866-408-7669. we will come back and take some more of your calls uh, or go to BrianKilmead.com where you can find out where I'm going to be on stage and hopefully in front of your town and your city and yourself and find out about Teddy and Booker T. Don't move.
2: Newsmakers and newsbreakers, here at first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade show. Um, I've heard about. I've heard that some people are upset about that, and the, the the right have been like losing their mind. You know, they're just like, oh my god, you know, dogs and cats are living together, and you know, like I said, aren't there more important things we should be talking about rather than if if I dress like a slob?
3: You do dress like a slob, but one thing, good news, and I mean it, is Senator Fetterman's actually feeling better. And he's back to the wacky guy that was running. Seriously. And I mean that. Um, obviously, he's feeling better. He's getting around. But I just find it totally unacceptable. I'm not losing my mind. I find it totally unacceptable to see somebody dressed not only down. I mean, people like, well, no tie. Okay. Well, you know what? No jeans. All right, he's wearing jeans. Now, you look at a guy, ripped sweats, no socks, sandals, ripped hoodies with no sleeves. Are you crazy? It doesn't look like you're even showering. So Senator Schumer, man, you were in control. Say, hey, listen, John, congratulations on your win. It's because of you that we got the majority. But I'm going to need you to, to dress. You know, and if you don't want, you know, you, your head's weird uh, and your neck is too big. I can understand. Open neck, do it. But you understand, you're not the first big 6'6 six, six guy to ever be senator. You've got a story of big guys, big senators. You know, Lincoln wasn't short. He six 6'4". So he didn't really look great. Right. Not a great looking guy, but he dressed up. I'm not saying you're Lincoln. I'm pretty sure John Fetterman isn't the reincarnation of Lincoln. But it's an insult to everything. And as soon as and I think the Senate's flipping. One of the first things I think, whoever the majority leader is, maybe it's going to be John Thune and it should be. The first thing he says, you got to dress up. Can you show some respect? I mean, it'd be different if he was without money and resources, but he's got money, he's got resources. And to do that, I think, is terrible. But don't, hey, Senator Fenderman, nobody's losing their minds. They just think it's wrong. That's all. And I am glad you're feeling better. Obviously, he is. Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com. Find out when I'm going to be in New Jersey. Find out when I'm going to be in Montgomery, Alabama. Find out when I'm going to be in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And six other stops, all for Teddy and Booker T. briankilmeade.com. Buy tickets now.
2: News Headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Uh, we've come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country. Heard around the world. And I'll tell you, Mark Levin is standing by. We'll get to him rapidly. We'll do a simulcast on Barney & Company on FBN. That will be the site of next week's debate. Uh, and Congressman Mike Johnson is going to be joining us. Are we looking at another shutdown? So let's get to quickly. Uh, by the way, the president's speaking any minute now uh, at, uh, at the United Nations. Let's see how that goes. It's always uh, like a roller coaster ride. Hold on tight. His whole staff, white knuckles at all. Let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the
4: stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. These Iranian monies that were uh, in in a Korean bank have always been available to Iran to use for humanitarian purposes. And we have absolute confidence in the process and the system that's been set up.
3: Uh, Yep, uh, that is Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. He's got a process and he's confident our, uh, Iran gets billions in unfrozen funds from South Korea. Their criminal citizens get released from our jails. We get back people that were taken for no reason. And that they also, Iran gets a prime spot on the U.N. lectern. Is this any way to treat a terror state? For President Biden, apparently
0: yes. Number two,
5: Mr. Speaker, how sure are you that you can keep the government open? Look, I am sure that I will continue to fight all the way through because the one thing I have learned through the years, if government gets shut down, it empowers the administration.
3: Right. Shutdown uh, looms as right fractures on extending the talks until October 31st. Gandhi and Mandela might not be able to get this GOP together. We'll talk about it.
0: Number one.
6: Republicans having won the big win that they'd waited for for years when the Supreme Court overturned Roe v.ersus Wade have now had a terrible time figuring out where to land as a party on the issue of abortion, and and Democrats have clearly gained ground on it.
3: Yep. Uh, Britt Hume, 2024, panic building among Dems and anti-Trumpers that Joe can't win and might not even survive a second term as Trump, Haley and Scott beat him head to head in the latest series of polls, Trump feels some rumblings after the flexible stand on abortion and the Ukraine war. But that's all happening on the right. Uh, with us right now, front and center is Mark Levin. His new book is out hours ago. Life, Liberty and Levin. It's already number one on Amazon. Uh, the, Democratic, and, uh, the Democratic Party uh, Hates America is the name of the book that's out. Mark, welcome back. Brian, how you doing, brother? I'm good. I haven't talked to you in an hour. You must miss me. Yes, I love your face. (laughs) Uh, On radio. So, uh, Mark, what prompted you? I know you did American Marxism, and you talked about what what the Democratic Party's goals are. Why did this book make sense to follow?
9: You know, Brian, a lot of people have time where they, they actually go off, they play golf, they go on vacations, they do these things. All I do is I think about these things and read and really study them very hard. I guess I'm kind of a nerd in that way. And um, everything led back to the Democrat Party. You know, you and I, we talk about these things all the time. Uh, we do on Fox, we do on radio, as do others. And uh, But then we give the Democrat Party a pass. Oh, there's good Democrats. Can we get something bipartisan? Can't we this? Can't we that? This is a party that was born to hate the country. This is a party. It's the party of the Confederacy. It's changed its politics from time to time, but it's never changed its ideology. And what I'm trying to explain in this book, and it's 400 pages, with 65 pages of endnotes notes, but I don't want people to feel overwhelmed. It reads very, very smoothly in plain English, is that when you look at the border, when you look at what's happening to the price of food and inflation, when you look at how uh, the government employees, we call teachers, are coming between parents and their children in very significant ways, When you look at the growing police state, and by that I don't mean local police, I mean federal police, and the going after protesters and throwing them in prison, I'm talking about senior citizens who are protesting at abortion clinics, uh, or the effort to infiltrate the Catholic Church in the greatest censorship uh, activity in the history of this country, or the effort to put your political opponent in prison. The investigations of the NRA and the Federalist Society and a whole list of things going on. The war on the voting system to eliminate the Electoral College so New York and other cities decide who our president is going to be and if the country has no representation. This constant battle over the budget. You know, you bring the budget up. The battle over the budget is really about the Democrat Party's bureaucracy. They do not want one penny to be cut from that bureaucracy. Yep. The fourth branch of government that's not in the Constitution, because that is where their power is, Brian. Even when they lose elections, they have a permanent government, and it is that permanent government that's making all the rules. It's deciding what kind of light bulbs you can have, the, the abolishing of the combustion engine. That's because of the ridiculous regulations they're putting in place to force these manufacturers to build electrical vehicles. You look what's going on on the board. You look at all this stuff that's taking place. Who is behind it? Well, why don't we ever call them out? It's not just Biden. It's not just Schumer. This is a, an institution, the Democrat Party, that's not your typical political party. It's an autocratic party, much like these Marxist parties around the world. They are monopolizing our society, our culture, and our government and they're doing it intentionally in every walk of life and in every single conceivable way.
3: But are you are you are you optimistic at all that there's some logical pushback? I mean, when you see the outrage and the screaming down of AOC at a ridiculous press conference the other day in New York City, when you see Democrats losing their minds because of the Uh, The breaking down of the border, which is destroying Philadelphia, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. Are you sensing that Americans are waking up to this and even some Democrats? First of all, I
9: don't do this optimism or pessimism stuff. I just do a reality. And so they did. They protested AOC. Now what? Nothing. Zero.
3: Until 2024.
9: I'll tell you why. No, no. I want to tell you why because the people don't have a say more and more in what's going on in their government. You know, um, they talk about bottom-up and middle-out, buying us. It's top-down. Nobody voted to get rid of the uh, these household appliances. Nobody voted or supported this open border that is disastrous in our cities and throughout the country. Nobody supported the, the elimination of the combustion engine and forcing people into, into – into this is all being done to us, not by us. And so while it's great to have these protests and so forth, it's more important, like Thomas Paine during the Revolutionary period, that we fully understand what's taking place. It's like puzzle pieces that you have to put together. Otherwise, we have a little brush fire over here with AOC. We have a little brush fire here with the border. We have a little... You have this, this Cloward and Pivens thing going on where our systems are being overwhelmed with these ideologues, where kids are being brainwashed. So it's from the classroom. It's to the border. It's to the attack on the capitalist system. It's the attack of the appliances and things we have in our country. There's an entire movement going on in this administration, not led by Biden, but led by people we don't even know. Bernie Sanders is happy. Barack Obama is happy because their ideologues are populating the most senior positions of the government. And they are working at breakneck speed to take down this society. That's what they mean by fundamental transformation. All you have to do is listen to what they say and read what they write. They're not hiding it. They have their media in the back pocket. Every state party, that is a monopoly party that controls various instrumentalities of the government, they need a state party. So as I mentioned to you on Fox, we don't have a free press. with a press that's free to push and support the state party. There's not a dime's worth of difference between the media and the Democrat party. So what I'm trying to do here is slow things down. Not, you know, look at this, look at this, look, slow things down, let's understand what's taking place, let's understand who's doing it, let's understand the history of this party, and let's start holding the party accountable. And how do we do that? You and I and others need to talk to as many people as we can and say, these things are not just taking place because Mother Nature is saying they should take place. These are man-made catastrophes. The border is a man-made catastrophe. The price of food and fuel, it is a man-made catastrophe. The educational level in our schools, that is a man-made catastrophe. So which men are doing it? The Republicans aren't doing this. The Republicans aren't even competent enough to get together to fight them. Right. So Every one of these issues, Brian – is supported by, backed by the Democrat Party. You don't hear a single Democrat. Well, you might hear the mayor of New York. You might hear the governor of New York, a little late, complain, well, we're not really sanctuary city and state, and this is bad. Biden and his people don't give a damn what happens in New York. They fear they have New York in the back pocket. What are they going to do? Vote Republican if Trump is the nominee? No, they're going to vote for a, for a kumquat if it's, if it's nominated as a Democrat. No. They see, their picture is, I got to turn... Texas, blue, and then the Republicans can never win. So if you look right. at the Democrat Party through the lens of power that it wants to replace the the country as, the, as what you're to be loyal to, as, as, as you see in China, as you see in, 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 in all these other countries, that's what's taking place. Loyalty to the Democrat Party. The country's under attack. Our history is being rewritten. Our monuments are being torn down. They project their own history onto the Republican Party eugenics racism segregation all the rest that's the history of the democrat party republicans need to educate themselves particularly those in congress but all of us so that the democrats can't keep projecting their history onto us through their propaganda and their
3: democracy. so this is way i picked up from the book you gave me an advanced copy thank you for that a uh, proof and you you just talked about listen Somehow it was the biggest jujitsu ever in the 1960s. It was so obvious that uh, the Dixie Democrats were the segregationists. They were pro Jim Crow. They're like, you get in the front of the, you, get in the back of the bus. You do not go to school with us. You do not work with us. Separate but equal. But they weren't equal. We know all about this because I'm doing Teddy and Booker T. I'm reading Booker T. Washington's life, growing up a slave in the transition and how we all went backwards in the 20th century. Because of a compromise over a controversial election constantly referred to now because of the Electoral College. There was a hang-up. So we compromised, and we let the South have control and pulled the Union troops out uh, before in the 19th century, late 19th century, in You're the 1880s. About
9: 1876. Yeah, correct.
3: the big compromise. So since that time, everything was going backwards. It was obvious to every American that the Democratic Party was doing that, not all, but in the South. Now, quickly— That changed in the 1960s, all of a sudden, because LBJ passes civil rights, they go, well, the Democrats led the charge. But what did your research show you about Lawrence Baines Johnson?
9: Lyndon Johnson died a racist. He did not have an epiphany at any time in his life. His own two big biographers says so. In 1957, Eisenhower is pushing the uh, the latest Civil Rights Act and Republicans have voted for every single Civil Rights Act overwhelmingly since the end of the Civil War. The Democrats have not. And so he wanted to push what would later become pretty much the 1964 Civil Rights Act and Johnson is the Democrat leader of the Senate and he goes into Eisenhower and he says, look, I'm going to kill your bill. I'll support it if you take the teeth out of it, the enforcement mechanism, but otherwise I'm going to kill it. And so Eisenhower is pretty upset about this, as is his staff, and, uh, but he, that he reluctantly agrees because he wanted to get something pushed through. Then Johnson goes back to his Southern segregationist friends. He was the leader of the segregationist wing of the Democrat Party, and he says, all right, I got Eisenhower to step down on this, so let's not filibuster it. So they passed the 1957 Civil Rights Act. Now, why did Johnson do that? To play both sides. He wanted to run for president. He was planning a run for the presidency. He didn't want to be viewed as voting against Eisenhower's 1957 Civil Rights Act. And so that's what he did. And when it comes to the 64 Civil Rights Act and the 65 Voting Rights Act, or the so-called Civil Rights Act of 1965, Johnson got behind those because Johnson wanted to get reelected. Everything about Johnson was about politics and power. And he used the N-word around the White House. He used the N-word to talk to his chef. He used the N-word around his uh, driver. There's audio where he's using the N-word left and right. And when he nominates Thurgood Marshall to the Supreme Court, the first black American to be nominated to the Supreme Court, he states pretty much – I'm paraphrasing. I don't have it in front of me right now. He says, uh, when I nominate an N-word to the Supreme Court, I want it to be a big n and I want people to remember it. And this is who he was. He was an egomaniac. He was completely out of control uh, in so many ways in the Oval Office. He used the IRS and the FBI against his political opponents, used them against Goldwater, used them against Martin Luther King. Um, and he, uh, Goldwater had a gay member of his staff. Uh, they tried to exploit that. And in Martin Luther King's case, uh, they did tape his phone, the Kennedys did, but so did uh, but so did Johnson, and they heard about these affairs and so forth, and they were thinking about whether to use them right. against him. Johnson was so bad, by the way, as a side point, Brian, for the audience. He even tapped Hubert Humphrey's phone, his <laughs> vice president, who was running for president, because he wanted to know what Hubert Humphrey really believed when it came to the Vietnam War, because he was very upset that Humphrey was breaking with him on the Vietnam War when he was running for the Democrat nomination. So you can imagine now why I get angry when they talk about Trump and his documents.
10: I hear like, you. What are
9: you talking about, for God's sakes? So the Democrat Party is – look, there is no way, and you know it and I know it, that I can describe this book in an interview. It's just impossible. But if people are really interested in getting to the nub of the matter and really interested in participating in saving this right. country, my recommendation is read it, even if you get it from the library. yep. Just read it. The information in there is very, very important.
3: And here's the thing. We only have 30 seconds left. But a lot of people on a daily basis do two or three jobs. They have have interest. The kids are running left and right. And they get into arguments with people or debates. If you want depth to your debate, instead of just ripping from the headlines and living story to story, you have to read books like this to give you a sense of how we got here. And you do a great job of that from Woodrow Wilson uh, to today. Uh, And Republicans aren't perfect. But, man, look at what was going on that got us to this point. Mark Levin, congratulations. Certain to be a bestseller. Just a matter of the list coming out next week. It's called The Democratic Party Hates America. Mark, thank you.
9: God bless you, brother, and take care of yourself. All right.
3: uh, Mark's on 8 o'clock, Saturday and Sunday. I follow him Saturday night at 9 o'clock with One Nation on Fox News.
2: The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
11: I'm a little old-fashioned. I want a guy who produces results. And the results are in. It's been a masterclass. There's simply no administration in my lifetime that's been more effective producing more substantive results. She's the best choice. I mean, by definition, if I think this administration the last two, two and a half years has been one of the most outstanding administrations in the last few decades, and she's a member of that administration, she gets to lay and claim credit. To a lot of that success, the answer is absolutely.
3: Uh, Governor Gavin Newsom, the big thing he has over Joe Biden is he can actually speak and communicate. Uh, The thing he has in common with Joe Biden is one's ruining a country, one's ruining a state. And I don't think I'm overstating that. When you look at the fact that now they're going to pass legislation to uh, to making 5,000 plus corporations uh, give their own green assessment of themselves and basically uh, open themselves up to fines and uh, banning. Uh, number two, they want to get rid of oil and gas and combustion engine. Fantastic. They have totally let down the border. Fantastic. More people have left California than come, maybe for the first time in history, thanks to him. They gave the country smash and grab, and people are going up to, Joe, to Gavin Newsom to say, why don't you run? If you're doing it on performance, pretty terrible. And if you really believe that Joe Biden's a master class in execution, yeah, they did minor gun legislation reform. You know, he's criticized it since. And they did some infrastructure, but they also did the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. And they also did the rescue plan, uh, all of which have basically printed money for green technology. And the thing in the infrastructure, almost nothing has been done. Zero has been done. That's a masterclass. he has got 39 percent approval rating. Masterclass.
2: He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
1: Mr. Speaker, how sure are you that you can keep the government
5: open? Look, I am sure that I will continue to fight all the way through. Because the one thing I have learned through the years, if government gets shut down, it empowers the administration. And I don't see how you're going to be able to secure the border if the border agents aren't being paid. I don't know how you feel protected in the nation if those in the military aren't being paid. I don't know how you project to be able to have the argument that you want to secure the border, cut wasteful spending. So the best way to do that is you pass the
3: conservative appropriation bills we have. So that's a great point. Uh, And should they have started earlier? I think so. I mean, I would not have taken off all of August if you only had eight days to pass a budget or 10 appropriation bills. I'm not sure what the deal is. But I think you have to work together to get a CR to get together the appropriation bills to get you to negotiate with the Senate on a legitimate budget the old-fashioned way, working it through committees. Congressman Mike Johnson knows all about it, member of Judiciary and Armed Services, and joins us now. Congressman, are you concerned about a shutdown?
12: Yeah, I am. I don't think it's a good idea for anybody. Uh, Government shutdowns are unpopular and they're expensive. And you put uh, people like our servicemen and women in jeopardy, but not receiving a paycheck. So we have to avoid it. I mean, I'm in House leadership. Uh, Brian, as you know, Vice Chair of the House Republicans, there was a lot of work, productive work being done over August. Um, sometimes it's uh, it's beneficial to have members break out into smaller groups, the right. ones that you know have issues about some of the spending and work things out. And we, we, we thought we were getting closer. I, I still think that uh, we can. And we had a very optimistic and I think upbeat a meeting just within the last hour here with all the House Republicans, I think we're going to get
3: to yes. I, I tell you, I, I talked to Congressman Matt Rosendale uh, this morning. He's not close to yes. He's a, he's a, a, absolutely a no. He said, I am tired of the spending under Nancy Pelosi. He doesn't want to give your own party another month.
12: Yeah, and I Matt's a good friend of mine, but um, here's the deal. I mean, the the CR that was negotiated, the one that would actually be on the table and on the floor this week, Cuts 8% of bloated government spending, and it puts our top priority, one of our top priorities, of course, closing the border right out front. And it makes the Democrats and the White House <clears> respond <throat> to that. I mean, this is strategically, it's a really smart move. I think we'll get there. I, you know, the problem is, Brian, of course, is we only have a, a four-vote margin right now, and so it's exceedingly difficult to get it done. But, you know, I think we will. I think we're going get the job done.
3: Well, I mean, what do you have? Because Steve Scalise is undergoing, can- you know, his cancer treatment. I understand yeah. you got a few paternity situations, uh, so you have i think in best scenario five seat margin do you, what right. do you what do you think you have now?
12: Well, the plan is to put the c r on the floor I think Thursday is the current plan, and um Steve can be here, but because of his cancer treatments, his immunity down so he can't come into the large gatherings, but he can don a mask and come in uh, and, and cast a vote. And the others will be here as well. So I think we'll have our full house here. Okay. short one seat of a retirement we just had. So you have four? We'll have four, yeah.
3: All right, so four. And, and the guy at Matt Rosendale, well, let's say he's a definite no. And uh, I believe there's another definite no out there. My question is, nobody's more conservative than you, Chip Roy, uh, Scott Perry. I, I, there's some people that just don't want to negotiate anything you guys are having problems with your own side you have not even picked up the phone and find out what the senate's thinking
12: all right well i mean the reality here is math and that's what chip and i and scott perry and others are, are trying to communicate and we did this morning in the meeting that guys we can't always get everything we want this won't be a perfect bill it took us a long time to get into this debt situation we're in now over we've crossed the 33 trillion mark in debt it's it's almost unbelievable but you can't turn a battleship on a dime. It takes a while to do it. This is a really important, necessary first step. And then we've all got to dig in and make the hard choices. We are out of time. We cannot kick the can down the road any further. And uh, we see this, we see the debt as the greatest threat to our national security, among so, everything else. So, so
3: why is it, Congressman Johnson, that you guys didn't get the 10 appropriations bill done? Is it just uh, hard too hard?
12: Um, it's, it's difficult, you know, I mean, think about the talk about reality, right? We have this, this very small majority, one of the smallest in the history of the Congress, and we have members who are, who are elected from, you know, congressional districts that President Biden won by, you know, 10 points. So they're going to look at issues very differently than us. They're going to look at the spending problem a little differently than us. They're still Republicans. They're still on our team. And so our job in health leadership is to work with all of those interests, and forge the consensus. And I think the fear of the of the growing debt and what it will mean to us as a nation is going to bring people to the table. Uh, you know, there's a lot of factors here that are weighing in on that. And I think, uh, I think ultimately everybody's going to do the right thing. on so, the Republican side, at least.
3: Right. So have you looked at what the Senate approved? They got all their appropriation bills done. And I think it's great yeah. to have regular order. People want to see something regular sure. and routine, but sure. have you seen it? Can you deal with, I haven't, I haven't. And you're more astute at this stuff, obviously than almost everyone listening and me. So can you deal with any of that? I mean, is there is there a good wiggle room there to negotiate something?
12: Well, look, our, our premise all along has been that we need to begin with a baseline of fiscal year 22 spending. I mean, that's not asking a lot. You know, this is just uh, a little bit past this on the calendar. Um, but, but what the Senate has done on most of these approaches, is they've plussed it up. They've added new spending, added additional things. I mean, that's a non-starter on our side. I mean, ultimately, we know that the approach bills are gonna wind up in a conference committee where the uh, you know the, the final agreement is is, uh, is is hashed out. But I think it's really important conservatives, we conservatives in the House think it's really important to send the right message from the House uh, to begin that process that we have to get serious about the spending. It's easy to pass bills, Brian, if you're just spending more. It's easy to plus up a bill and get it through and get everybody to vote for it. The responsible thing, the principal thing is to address the debt and begin to curtail spending. And that's what we committed to do in the House.
3: Right. Uh, Well, yeah, we'll see. Because also at stake, obviously, everybody knows it's a year away, another election. And everybody knows how how close it will be. There's about 15 seats, they say, roughly, uh, that are in play. And everyone's watching. Uh, So I want to, if I can, over to Hunter Biden. Uh, What do you think about the lawsuits against the whistleblowers for embarrassing him and coming forward? What's your response to that?
12: It's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. Of course, whistleblowers are encouraged and protected in our system. They always have been. We have statutes that protect them from this kind of nonsense. They are trying to send a message. I mean, this has been communicated on on Fox News many times, and I think it's exactly right, that they want to intimidate other whistleblowers from coming forward. See, the problem we have that they have, the problem they have in the Hunter Biden investigations is that we have credible witnesses from inside these agencies. We have whistleblowers, as you know, from the FBI and the IRS. People that were trusted for long, many years, and they've come forward to clear their conscience and say what is happening. So they want to go after those people and make an example of them. Whether they're successful in this or not, they want to, by fear and intimidation, they want to uh, discourage others from coming forward and speaking because they're, they're sending the message that they'll they'll bankrupt them. You know, they'll sue them personally, bring them to court. Uh, And it'll it'll take a war chest to defend them. And so it's just despicable behavior on their part. But, you know, we're not surprised by that.
3: So you have the impeachment inquiry and people like Ken Buck came out and said, it's a big mistake. Here's my editorial about it. There's not enough there. Hunter's bad. There's no links to Joe. Listen to good governor. Gavin Newsom said yesterday, cut 14.
11: There are a lot of a lot of folks in a lot of industries, not just in politics, where people have family members and relationships and they're trying to parlay uh, and a little and get a little influence and benefit. In that respect, uh, that's hardly unique. I don't love that any more than you love it or other people, I imagine, love that. Uh, We want to see a lot less of that. uh, But an impeachment inquiry? Give me a break. This is student government. Student government threatening debt again, or rather threatening a government shutdown again after we went through that process with the debt ceiling? This is student government. This is a joke. Ready, fire, aim. I mean, this is a perversity that the founding fathers ever conceived of and imagined.
3: So you're letting Gavin Newsom down. I don't know if you're going to be able to sleep tonight. But what do you think? uh, What do you think about that?
12: I mean, that is comical. I mean, Gavin Newsom, of course, was, you know, a cheerleader for the Trump sham teachments, Right now, he's suddenly gotten religion. It's ridiculous. He has no credibility at all. And he knows what he's saying isn't true. We have credible evidence, allegations of abuse, misuse of the office, bribery, influence peddling, and now mounting evidence to show it. We, we have uncovered. everybody knows now the president repeatedly lied to the American people about his knowledge and his involvement in Hunter Biden's foreign business dealings. And, and we have look, we have text messages from Hunter himself explicitly discussing payment. He texted a Chinese businessman asking why the commitment has not been fulfilled. you know he was sitting next to his dad on the couch. he texted his daughter and said, quote, "unlike pop, I won't make you give me half your salary, right? So the reason we moved it into the impeachment inquiry stage is because that gives us greater subpoena of power. We uh, we can change uh, our investigative requests in the eyes of the courts, right? And it gives us a larger megaphone to deliver these facts to the American people. That's what we're going to be doing in earnest. They have been impeding our investigations, Brian, as you know. And this takes us to the next level to connect the remaining dots. I think we know where the truth is going to lead.
3: And who's next up?
12: Well, uh, we're pursuing now. You know, we have this big hearing tomorrow with uh, the, the Attorney General himself, Merrick Garland will be in Judiciary uh, tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow morning, and we got a lot of questions with him. For example, about what's happened with the the, the Weiss uh, investigation and the Hunter. You know, there's some really serious questions there. Is the DOJ directly involved? Are they are they directing Attorney mm-hmm. Weiss's investigations and, and getting the throttle back? We'll find out. We've got a lot to ask. Yeah.
3: To. Mike, uh, Congressman Mike Gallagher, an impactful congressman, always looking to make a difference. If you can, keep the government open. Thanks, Mike.
2: Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney & Company with Stuart Varney. Live on your radio and on Fox Business, here's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Welcome back, everybody. Brian Kilmeade about to go on with Stuart Varney, as you mentioned. Stuart's going to be, I almost said emceeing, moderating next week's debate. At that debate, when President Trump's not going to show up, it looks like he might show up in Alabama. Some say he won't with a 40-point lead. Uh, but it could be a smaller stage, too. Right now, Asa Hutchinson is not qualified. Governor Bergram has not qualified. You got Christie. You got Senator Tim Scott. You have Nikki Haley. You have uh, Vice President Pence, and that pretty All much rounds to the end of the, on the swan.
6: Let's bring in Brian to the show. Look, Brian, I want to talk about the strike. I think the strike is about electric vehicles, and I think the end result, whatever it is, is that the price of EVs go up, and Tesla and China win. Where am I going wrong?
3: I don't think you're going wrong, especially because I remember doing a hit with Jim Farley, uh, yeah. the CEO of Ford, and he was down south, I think in Tennessee, talking about a new. Uh, a new electric car plant and we have 40% of the workforce is net 40% of an average combustion engine workforce is needed for uh, an electric car so you have less workers there and in many cases they're choosing to open up in non-unionized areas and here's what's the better better part that really gets under the skin of the workers is that the electric cars are being subsidized by the federal government, so you buy them, and they're somewhat affordable. Look, a Tesla's not affordable to almost everybody watching us right now. Some other cars might be, especially if you're getting additional money to keep the price down. So Ford is losing $9 billion, but then they get $11 billion in grants, and then other people get money back if they buy electric, and then the combustion engine guys are going, excuse me, I'm sitting here with my ratchet and my wrench, wondering why I'm losing. When the American public appetite is still with the traditional combustion engine, which is
6: driving cleaner than ever before. It's crazy. We're, we're destroying the established auto, the auto industry in the United States, which has been a mainstay of manufacturing for decades. And we're doing it all in the name of going to electric vehicles. At what point can we reverse course? I don't think we can at this point.
3: Oh, yeah, I think you can. When you have an administration in there that says no more subsidies for electric vehicles. You know, these guys in the Mary Barrett GM, they don't want to do it. They're being pushed to do it yes, they are. by the government and incentivized to do it. If they're losing money. Now, I was in the F-150 Lightning. We did a big special on it for Fox Nation. I encourage you to watch it. And it's, it drives itself, and it's fascinating. It's good, and people want to buy it, but they don't want to buy it more than the F-150. And how many people would buy it if they weren't being subsidized by the federal government? So let's see uh, how we're going to do that and still build everything here. One of the geniuses of Tesla is they do everything in one plant. You're not getting something from Japan, something from Vietnam, and something from China. They do it all there. I'm wondering if Ford's going to start doing that, too. And number two is I think Republicans should watch themselves. I know the knee-jerk reaction is uh, anti-union, but they're not anti-worker. Well, and a lot right. of these men and well, women are blue-collar people wondering where their benefits went and why their, rent, why their salaries aren't commiserate with the yeah. cost
6: of living. Well, Brian, Donald Trump is going to skip the second debate next week. With and you on to it. Us- Thank you. And he's going to give a speech to workers in Detroit. I think he does not have the support of union leaders, but I think he's got a lot of support amongst the rank and file. Right. Talk
3: past him. And, you know, I watched the interview a couple of weeks ago with the union head saying, yeah, I don't like Trump. He's worse. How is he worse? Because he went out of his way to bring manufacturing back, took on China and got a th- like one portion of a trade deal done. It wasn't perfect. He redid NAFTA in order to stop the, the, the exit of most of our manufacturing. It was not perfect, but, man, it was a lot – the USMCA was a lot better. And then when he talks to workers, he won Michigan, I think, in 2016 by – 0.2%. I think he lost it by 1.2%. And I ask you in Michigan, how do you feel today about the economy, about inflation, about interest rates? And if you look around and go, this guy produced this, he's got a report card now, who's doing better work for you? And I'll add this Mike Rogers running for that open Senate seat in Michigan, very popular. He's not really dug in right or left. He's got mm-hmm. that uh, Select Intelligence Committee and the military and FBI background. That's a seat that's vulnerable for Democrats, too. And we'll see. Yeah. I think Trump's got great instincts on this.
6: Yes, he does. He has very strong political instincts. He really does. All right, Brian, thank you very much indeed. Back to the grindstone. And okay. I'll continue with this show. All right, what Stuart. Do we
3: have- All right, we'll do that. one 408 7669 So we were talking about the UAW, it was interesting Because the, the, you know, uh, they're pointing out over and over again that in the since 2008, the CEOs have gotten substantial raises, but the benefits have decreased because of the 2008 catastrophe and of the collapse of the auto industry. And now they're saying, can we have it back? And they go, I can't really restore your pensions. Well, can I have a pay raise? Well, you can, 21%. They're like, no, we want 40. What I don't agree with is 32 hours to get paid for a 40-hour work week. You can't do that. you got to work five days. Unless you want to put the hours in in four days, that's not what we're talking about. If you want that day off, and that means every day has got to be longer. Same thing with school. People are like, well, I want a four-day week in order to get teachers. Yeah, but it's got to be a longer day. And then you get your three months off and you get your three-day work week. Here's Kevin Hassett on where the UAW strike is right now and what the role of electric vehicle is. Cut 26.
13: The union recognizes that the Biden and the Democrats' push for electric vehicles is a potential threat to their very existence. Because what's happening is that the car companies, even the big three, are locating the EV plants in right-to-work states like Tennessee And those places don't really want to organize, uh, with the UAW. And so that they're taking, you know, the unionized jobs in Michigan and shipping them to Tennessee and they're turning into not unionized jobs.
3: So that's true. And that's why they're on their head. And then when Joe Biden says, I'm going to go send an envoy to help you out, the head of the union said, no, no, thank you. So it's all three. And I just wish, you know, these, these, uh, these car companies feel subservient and somewhat thankful to the government for saving them those years ago. And they got rid of Chrysler and sold it to Fiat, which is a joke. Uh, and we want Chrysler back. And hopefully some, some billionaires will say Chrysler is an American company. They make the Jeep and everything else. we got to bring it back. But having said that, why doesn't government just stay out of it at this point? Make sure they don't crash again and make sure there's regulations in place so they don't. But stop putting your hand on, put your hand on the scale. And as you talk to people involved in energy, they were saying the hybrid is more the way to go. And that's what they're doing in Japan. Brian Kilmeade, make sure you keep it here. Watch One Nation Saturdays at 8. And go to briankilmeade.com. Find out how to see me live on
6: stage.
2: From the Fox News radio studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hey, welcome back, everyone. Brian Kilmeade. So glad you're here. A lot to discuss. 1-866-408-7669. Hey, a little bit later, Gary Myers is going to be joining us, a uh, best-selling author. His book out now, Once a Giant, a Story of Victory, Tragedy, and Life After Football. Very few people in the country know more about football or written more articles about him over the last 40, 50 years doing this job. He's also, right the, uh, uh, can't, uh, he also a voter for the Canton Hall of Fame. And uh, I, want him to, I want him to weigh in on Deion Sanders, featured on 60 Minutes, over the weekend, what he's done at Colorado, opened up 3-0. and They only won one game last year, two sons on the same team. Also, uh, the Giants authored the biggest comeback, maybe in, in Giant history, or one of the biggest, and Saquon's ankle. We'll talk about that and so much more. But with me in studio is Jackie DeAngelis, the same Jackie DeAngelis from The Big Money Show, 1 o'clock on FBN. Jackie, welcome back.
1: Thank you so much.
3: So first off, uh, I, I'm just stunned by this. And for you who live by the numbers you know, either the economy's good and you run on it, or it's not good and you don't take the blame for it. You right. talk about other things you're doing <laughs> to fix it. But Joe Biden's still not backing off, running on Bidenomics. And the polls, forget the numbers, the polls show people are not pleased with this economy. Where's the disconnect?
1: They're not buying it, and the reason that he's not running on other stuff is because there isn't much positive that he can talk about. Should he talk about the border? Should he talk about crime? Should he talk about education in America? It's really tough to do it. So what they're doing is they're taking Bidenomics and they're trying to spin it in the best way possible. The numbers, Brian, actually um, serve their purposes to a certain degree, make them look better. When you look at job a, numbers, right? The job mm-hmm. numbers. When you look at the overall inflation numbers, he can stand there and say. I've brought inflation down from 9.1%, but that's not the whole story. When you look at it from a two-and-a-half period from right. when he took office, prices for goods and services are up over 17%. That's what's the, what what the average American still feels, and that's why they're like, none of this makes sense to me.
3: Right. You know, it's interesting, too, with the UAW, um, you see a lot of those – that anger in the picket line is the stuff that we see in the street when you do the street – Uh, when you go up randomly to people on the street and say, Mm -hmm. how do you feel about the economy, whether you're wearing a suit or a tank top and look like you're just hanging out. Most people are upset because their dollar isn't stretching long enough. And that's really what the frustration we're seeing in Michigan right now.
1: Yeah. And so they're gaslighting people to a certain extent, whether it's the auto workers or, like you said, the random person on the street they're feeling a completely different picture they're feeling 17% right. and more in some cases so i sympathize with the auto workers to a degree because number 1 they're worried about the fact that the companies they work for are in bed with joe biden when it comes to green energy and are going to essentially put them out to uh, out of business do you remember in the beginning when he started his energy policies and he said i'm going to make all these green jobs and all the jobs are going to translate you're not going to yeah. lose your job but all those pipeline workers are sitting there, um, basically saying, "I can't find another job. Yeah, and my, to code. <laughs> my skills don't transfer." And and it's the same thing in the auto industry. So these people are asking for this forty percent pay increase right. because they're worried about right now, but they're also worried about the future. They want their pensions to be bolstered a little bit because they're worried that they will not be able to work.
3: Ironically, Joe Biden says he's the most uh, positive union president around. Also, is Mister Green Energy and Mister Electric Car, right. and they use forty percent of the workforce. Uh, the workforce needed that they do for the unionized workers. And it seems to me, Jackie, that Ford is opening up in the South with right-to-work states. They're not sticking around Michigan for this.
1: Yeah, because it doesn't make sense for them. Um, but, you know, I look at these CEOs in an interesting light because – uh, on one hand, what are they going to do when Biden is pushing this down your throat? What are you supposed to do? They've taken the subsidies. They've taken that money. They've invested in it. Maybe if they would have banded together as companies and said, we're not doing this. The country is not ready. It for it." Worked, yeah. You know, maybe it would have worked because there's strength in numbers. Um, the other thing is that the American uh, consumer is not buying an electric vehicle. They don't want it. They don't work it's properly and they're too expensive.
3: Right. So here's what Joe Biden said. He says Jackie DeAnders is wrong. Cut 36. <laughs>
10: <laughs> We've climbed out of our great economic crisis. It's beginning to work for working people. Na- this nation is very rich. We're living through one of the greatest job creation periods in our history. And, folks, it's not an accident. It's not an accident. That literally is our economic plan in action.
3: But aren't most of these jobs government jobs? And isn't the bigger story now how many jobs are open?
1: Yes. So some people are working two jobs also, remember, just to try to make ends meet. That's skewing the numbers a little bit. Yes, there's been huge creation in government jobs. And when he talks, I I think what he's referring to when he said that is the post-pandemic replacement of jobs that were temporarily on hold because people, we shut down our complete economy. So the jobs numbers don't really make sense when you think about it. Um, most people that want a job, have a job. You've still got programs that are in place keeping people out of the labor force. I still think that's what's kind of holding this up and making it look okay. When those payments stop, whether it's extra child care kind of right. stuff, you know, food stamps, he's expanded the program, whatever it is, um the the tuition reimbursement, um the college paying back the student loans rather, that kind of stuff, when you put a halt to it, then those people are gonna say, I gotta go back to work and I'm willing to do it for the old minimum wage.
3: Right. I want you to hear what uh, Kevin Hassett. I thought he did a great job. He had a couple of cents with the Trump administration. This is his take on what's happening now. Cut 38.
13: Bidenomics is destroying lives all around the country because he's created inflation and real wages are declining. That same census report says, if you go back to right before the pandemic, the incomes, real mm-hmm. incomes for the median family are down $4,000, yeah. $4,000 per family. And that's what Biden's cost us. And he's out there, you know, basically spreading lies about the economy. It's really quite stunning.
3: So that's the crazy thing is you say don't believe your don't believe your bank account don't believe your eyes.
1: Yeah. Well, it's roughly um there are other studies that show American families are spending roughly $1,000 more a month than they normally would, which is another twelve a year. Right. Multiply it by two and a half. It's more than $25,000. That's savings. You know, I have people tweeting. We were talking about credit card egregious rates the other day in this proposal by Hawley, nonetheless, to say, let's try to cap the rates at, you know, 18% or something like that. And I said, um, you know, you shouldn't really be charging up on credit cards if you can help it. We've got to let the free markets work. I'm not saying the credit car- card companies are in the right here but you can't control the system and somebody actually tweeted to me and said that was a very elitist comment i've had some emergency expenses and i've had to put them on my credit card and i'm getting charged egregious rates well any financial expert would tell you sir you're supposed to have an emergency fund right and he doesn't and he's not the only one in the country
3: right uh a quick thing they say right now food is up about 20 percent uh, gas prices now up 50 percent since President Biden took office and inflation has increased for the second straight month. Yeah. So these things are going in the wrong direction. Do they believe, is there anything in the last question, because I know you got to run, uh, is there anything in the uh, economic picture that's going to kick into gear in the spring that would make Bidenomics look more palatable that I might be missing A year before the actual people start thinking about the polls.
1: I don't think so. I actually think the picture is going to get worse. I think this recession has kind of been delayed by some of the factors we just talked about. I think first quarter of next year is when you're really going to see it. And if I can just go back to gas prices for a moment, OPEC plus countries are price gouging right now. They're the ones price gouging and controlling production and supply on the market because they know they can take advantage of this president who shut down our energy industry here at home. Seasonally, gas prices are supposed to be going down right now and they're going up so that that 50% number probably is going to get worse wow. as we go into the
3: winter. Jack DeAngelis, will we'll make sure to watch you at 1 o'clock every single day. We'll see you there. Thanks for joining me on this Thank Tuesday.
2: You. Expanding your knowledge base, it's The Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: Hi, everyone. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back as we finish up this half hour. Uh, so I had a chance to talk to Matt Rosendale, uh, the, the congressman who wants to be senator. He's probably going to run against Sheehy, and he'll lose, just like he lost last time to Senator John Tester. Uh, and Matt Rosendale just made it clear, when it comes to a CR and negotiating anything but massive spending cuts, he's not playing ball. So he came out in the morning to brag about it, and we kind of got into it. And I did note this, and I think you'll hear this in. Chip Roy is among the people. Scott Perry among the right-wing people. Big critics of Kevin McCarthy, who said, oh, I worked through the weekend. I'll go, a, 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 I'll go with this CR, continuing resolution to October 31st, if we can get some border security. It might not even pass the Senate, but now with the Republicans are fighting with the Republicans about this. So I asked Pat Rosendahl, and it kind of went off the rails, but I think you want to hear it. GOP Congressman Matt Rosendale, this continuing resolution, while they negotiate, would extend the funding of the government until October 31st. Congressman,
0: why are you dead set against that? Uh, Brian, I've, I've said for months now that I will not support any continuing resolution. Uh, That is merely an extension of Nancy Pelosi's spending and Joe Biden's policies that we voted against, Republicans voted against for the last two years. We have known for nine months it is time to pass the appropriation bills. We were assured by Kevin McCarthy. This Congress is going to be different. We're going to pass the 12 appropriation bills. I started talking about this several months ago when the debt ceiling package was negotiated outside of the House of Representatives and Kevin McCarthy went directly to President Biden and struck a deal that didn't reduce spending. I said, we are on a trajectory. To have a continuing resolution and an omnibus, got the you. same as Nancy Pelosi
3: passes. Uh, got you, Congressman. But this is a continuing resolution. You're not signing on for any permanent spending caps. You're just saying a uh, one more month to negotiate. You guys took the sure. whole you took all of August off. I don't know why. You didn't pass any appropriations bill. They did in the Senate. But do you think Chip Roy is conservative? Oh, I absolutely think right. Chip so Roy listen is conservative. to listen to I what he said. Right, uh, Matt. Listen to what he said about your stand. I have colleagues on my side of the aisle who are about to walk away from something that we can
12: possibly do here together to get across and send a message loudly and clearly that we should fund a government that will actually do its job and secure the border. For all the folks out there ready to walk away from it, I would just caution you that you are walking away from the most important issue that we are dealing with right now for the people that we represent.
3: And what what he's saying is uh, there's border money in this while you negotiate for one month for this. Meanwhile, this is something that Senate is probably not going to
0: accept anyway, but will bring it to negotiations. How do you feel about Chip Roy's logic here? So the very beginning of that statement, Brian, really summarizes it. It's a message. It's a message, and I think that the message that we need to send is that Congress needs to do their job. They need to pay us the 12 appropriation bills. They need to get the non-defense discretionary spending reduced to $1.471 trillion, which is what Speaker McCarthy agreed that he was going to help us to accomplish. But you I'm need not a, just but, pointing but Congressman, fingers. Congressman, what
3: if they just but, tell you, I need another month? They just need uh, another month. You fund the government. Republicans oh sure. will get totally blank. And
0: next year, we're going to reduce the spending. And the year after that, we're going to balance the budget. How long Let is, me hold the football how for Speaker, you, how, 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 how long is Speaker, uh, Speaker McCarthy had the job? I think that you're, you had a Freudian slip just there, okay? we're seeing No, the no work, Freudian slip. How long has Speaker come come McCarthy had the we're job? We're seeing the same kind of work ethic come out of Speaker McCarthy as we saw out of Speaker Pelosi. So you CRs have, you have no more. And I'm you not going to support that.
3: So in other words, if you have colleagues that you respect like Chip Roy, you obviously don't like Speaker McCarthy. If people like Chip Roy and Scott Perry, like. well, no, no. it's not about who I well, like. It's not about who I like. With respect, okay. Brian? It's about doing finish. the job for Let the American me finish, people. Twenty percent, Scott Perry, and and Chip Roy said, "I need another month," and you say,
0: "I'm not giving you another
3: month." So the government shut down. Who get blamed for right. the government shuts down?
0: who gets played this is about messaging again you're you're getting back to what this is all about it's about messaging let's sit down let's take the time that we have remaining let's develop the appropriation bills all 12 of them you, so we can, can see do it some total of them. you can do it in 7 uh, days you can do it in 7 oh, days you can do it in 7 days Oh, absolutely Brian, you you we can accomplish anything we want to in 48 hours in this city but you have to want to do it i'm willing to stay here i would have stayed here all the way through august brian but but you have to have leadership that says this is what we are going to do. This didn't arise seven days ago, Brian. We've known for nine months we were supposed to develop the appropriation bills. Right. They've known for years. They're not doing it. I was not sent here to so, kick the can right. down the road. So if, we're so, adding $2, so $2 trillion gov- dollars of debt to the, to the national debt every year.
3: Congressman, you just know if the government gets shut down, Republicans get the blame because they're not even providing even a CR a pathway to a CR, you're saying I'm not going to go over 30 days, so the government shuts down. That means your investigation stopped. That means the border funding doesn't
0: happen, and that's okay? Who are you getting your talking points from, Brian? Uh, it's Let's stay research. here and get the appropriation. It's research, Let's call research, Congressman. The if, you don't agree with,
3: if you don't agree with what I'm saying, it doesn't mean
0: talking points. You just don't agree uh, with it what does I'm because saying. because we can stay, Brian, we can stay here and develop the appropriation bills. The work has already begun. OK, we need to complete it. Why is Speaker McCarthy not allowing for the appropriation bills to be completed and brought forward so that the body of Congress can vote on them? That? That's Evid- the question. That's a great question. But evidently, it you sure need 30 is. more days to do it and you don't want to do it. I will not sign off on a continued resolution. That continues Nancy Pelosi's spending and Joe Biden's policies. That's ridiculous. I voted against them for two years, Brian. Let's stay here and get the appropriation bills done. Let's make sure that we get the, the value of those appropriations okay. down to a 1471000000000 trillion non-defense discretionary. Talk
3: to those pro-Pelosi people like Chip Roy and Scott Perry, all
0: right? Are, are they pro-Pelosi? This what, okay. what he said was this is about delivering a message. That's this all. is
3: about a continuing resolution to get you to, to that deliver point. a
0: message that no one what believes that delivered? any of the provision. Brian, all right, he we, said that go. he does not believe that any of the provisions within that continuing resolution will even be passed. Well,
3: put it this way. At least he's moving forward. You're message. just standing still. Thanks, no, Congressman. I'm, I'm ready to work it. on the appropriation bills. Brian. All right. Then talk to your people. So that's Matt Rosendale. I just think it's ridiculous. I am just done with people that don't want to deal. I'm not saying that every speaker is right and every right-winger or or moderate is correct. It's all called compromise. But I'm not even asking you to get together with Hakeem Jeffries. I'm asking you to get together with Chip Roy on a continuing resolution just to put it forward so you have something to, I don't know, go back and forth with the Democratic-controlled Senate about. So here's what Kevin McCarthy says. Cut 10.
5: The best way this system works is we pass our individual bills. Unfortunately, I have some members denying those come up. We're going to keep working through that. The whole idea of members themselves getting together to think of being able to produce a continuing resolution just for 30 days that would allow us to pass more of those individual bills.
3: Yeah, 30 days. And then you go, I don't know why they didn't work in August. I'll ask Kevin McCarthy that. I would probably get him on the show. And you could be disappointed. Listen, Kevin, you say you're going to do normal appropriations. I want to hear his answer. I got it. Uh, and, but you got to understand the congressmen from New York and women from New York, if, they go, if they're go they in a moderate district and help deliver this, the House and they go forward with shutting down the government, they could cost them their seat and you're the majority. But it doesn't matter. Matt Rosendale is tired of Nancy Pelosi, and he's tired of spending. All right, good luck with that. Call Rove nailed to Cut 12.
4: There's a
8: reason why they get blamed. And, and and look, the American people demand that their government try and run itself in an appropriate fashion. And the fact that the biggest financial and business enterprise in the world, the U.S. government, cannot pass a budget in time and then ends up shutting itself down over things that are on the margin. I mean, we're talking about uh, the difference between this and that. and. Uh, uh, the Republicans are going to be uh, shoot themselves in the foot and run, in the run-up to the 2024 election if they continue to, to to think that shutdowns are a great way to put themselves in front of the American people.
3: Meanwhile, the defense, you know, we, the defense needs to be funded. They need to project. They need to do budgets. We also know no one's getting any promotions. Senator Tommy Tuberville, whatever you think about that, nobody's getting promotions. Nobody's retiring because no one can fill their spots. So everybody's holding up everybody. For personal reasons, and nobody talks to anyone. But I'm used to Schumer and McConnell battling. I'm used to uh, Jeffries, Pelosi, and McCarthy disagreeing. I'm not used to this. And it just makes you look bad. It's it's like with your family. If you go with your family to Disney and you fight in front of the other families, your family looks bad.
14: Who's the best coach in college football today? Let me see a mirror so I can look at it. You feel that? You think I'm going to sit up here and tell you somebody else? You, you think you think that's the way I operate? That somebody else got that on me?
3: Oh, that's fantastic. 60 Minutes interview Deion Sanders uh, over the weekend. And, of course, you might have missed it because your DVR probably only clicks on at the normal time. But baseball, excuse me, football always on Sunday night games. Uh, late afternoon games always takes part of 60 minutes out. But Deion Sanders has opened up 3-0 and for Colorado Buffaloes. But the way he's done it with his speeches and his son as quarterback, the other one uh, playing defense, it's really been impressive. And this guy comes off Jackson State. I, I personally didn't even know he had ambitions to coach. And then he went to Jackson State and tried to revitalize and then uh, the the historically black HBS, the historical black colleges. And I thought, though, it was great. And he did just that and brought a lot of attention to it. And then he brought his team, a lot of his team, got rid of 80 players and went to Colorado. The team won one game last year. They've already he won three this year, the latest one in overtime. Joining us now to put it in perspective and talk a little bit about football is Gary Myers. The same Gary Myers who's got to put a brand new book out called Once a Giant, the story of victory, tragedy, and life after football. NFL columnist uh, who used to write for the Daily News and Dallas Morning News. Gary, welcome back. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. So, Deion Sanders, 60 minutes. Did you ever think when he was playing for a, and starring for the Redskins, the 49ers, uh, the Dallas Cowboys, of course, the Falcons and the Yankees? Did you say this guy wanted to, would be coaching and the Braves? This guy would be coaching one day? I didn't
10: necessarily think that, but I knew he was a great businessman. Um, he had a one year layover in San Francisco after he left the Falcons, won a Super Bowl which increased his value, then signed a huge contract with the Cowboys and, and won a Super Bowl the next year also. And so we knew, we, had to play, we knew he knew how to play the business aspect of football. And I think that's carried over into the immediate success he's had with Colorado because everything has changed in college football, with NIL and the transfer portal, and nobody's doing that better than Deion.
3: How did he do it? Did he really get rid of the whole team?
10: I, I think that uh, they had over 80, 80 scholarship players last year, and when they win the one game, and they only have about 20 of them on the team this year. So that's a pretty huge turnover. He encouraged all his players, or at least the ones he didn't want, to hit the transfer portal. He, he had players from schools all over the country that wanted to play for him. This was like an expansion draft for Dion, except instead of the other schools being able to protect, you know the first, you know, thirty players on their roster. Anybody who wanted to leave could leave, and he's got such a charisma and and a personality that there's a lot of players that just want to play for him, figuring that he might be in the best position to help them take the next step, which would be to get into the NFL. But in the meantime, he's increased the um, the whole, the visibility of this program. That's going to result in more social media followers for all his players, which will result in NIL dollars for them. So I can understand why players want to
3: play for him. So interesting. Here's what he said about being underestimated. Cut 42. Do you feel like you were underestimated? You come here and it's, I don't know if Coach Prime can win. You must have heard what some of these other coaches were saying, both secretly and out loud. That's,
14: That's fair. Fear. Yeah, that's fear. That's like, hey, man, shoot, we don't want to let that engine that could get going, because if that engine that could get going, he's going to start saying, I think I can. I think I can. And sooner or later, he's going to start saying, I know I can. I know I can. And then sooner or later, he's going to start saying, I did that.
3: So he he brings that enthusiasm. Can he keep it up at this level? Do you also know coaches like Rex Ryan, for example, who comes in saying, I'm gonna take out the Patriots and Belichick is my goal and I and making all these promises and he did get the Jets going, but after a while you have to it run it wears thin. Do you think there's a risk of that or do college kids respond differently than the pros?
10: No, I think uh and that's a great question. I think that college kids definitely uh approach this differently. Uh, you know, especially because the good ones are only spending three years in college, and then they go apply f- for the NFL. So the Rock is over so much that he's going to be, you know, addressing a different audience every year. So by the time maybe his players will get tired of hearing his shtick, yeah, they're, they're, they're ready to go to the NFL. Yeah,
3: <laughs> Right, yeah. So, he had his mother speak at halftime one time. I thought that was oh, amazing. Oh my...
10: Yeah, I, I I saw that uh, the video of that. I mean, cause he's always was a, always was a character in the NFL. One of the most quotable guys, great player. You know, wasn't afraid to trash talk. Backed up what he said. You know, the cliche walk the walk, uh, talk to talk. He was able to do that. And now what he's doing as a relatively novice coach. I mean, two years at Jackson State, and now uh, to be at a. he's turning Colorado back into a big time program. He's turning him into a destination that, you know, players will want to go play for him. And listen, I I don't think he's the best coach in in college football. Like he was kind of bragging. I told, say, you look at Kirby Smart and Nick Saban, who've got championships, but we're not going to bet him against this guy. I I don't think he's winning the national championship this year based on, you know, watching that game. the other not against Colorado state, but, just considering that was a one and eleven team, and he redid the roster, and these guys had to get used to playing with each other, and he's got his son playing quarterback. I mean, it's a tremendous story. But Brian, on the flip side of it, I also understand why people would be upset about the way he's doing it. Kids go to went to Colorado on a, on a full scholarship, and he's turned it he turned it into like a one year contract basically, and. Uh, encourage the kids to leave. If they didn't want to leave, they can stay on scholarship, but they wouldn't be on his team anymore. I mean, that's taken college football to a whole different level um, than we've ever been used to. I'm not sure I like it, but you have to accept it because that's the way it is now.
3: Right, and I I think he talked about that too uh, and how he says, you know, uh, he basically took on the fact that people don't want to hear the truth anymore. And this is what he said, Cut 44.
14: I think truth is good for kids. We're so busy lying, we don't even recognize the truth no more in society. We want everybody to feel good. That's not, that's not the way life is. Now, it is my job to make sure I have what we need to win. That makes a lot of people feel good. Winning does.
3: i, I got to push back on this. You're a father of college Five. athletes. yes. If they called you and say, "Hey, we got a new coach," and they're telling me to get in the transfer portal,
14: I say, "Son, you must be—you you must not be doing well." That's what you'd you said. You must not be doing well because you should be an asset and not a liability. I'm honest okay. with my kids. So,
3: <laughs> he didn't hesitate at all. Yeah. So that's, I, I that's interesting, I, right? If
10: I, Brian, if I was a parent of, of a kid who's highly recruited and went to Colorado. And after one year, a new coach comes in and tells my kid to leave after he's adjusted to college life, uh, adjusted to, you know, going to class and making time for football. And and now the coach is saying, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Go start over somewhere else. I I don't think I'd be very happy about that. Um, I know, but you you know the
3: flip side, Gary, and you've seen more football games than I ever will see, is you sit on the bench and you wonder why the coach doesn't like me.
10: Yeah, I mean, listen, if if you're not playing, then these coaches leave on their own. I mean, I'm sorry, the players leave on their own. I mean, how many kids do we see that aren't being forced out but leave anyhow because they want to play? Yeah. So, I mean, that that part I'm I'm kind of okay with. I mean, this is a complete change to where you used to have colleges that wouldn't give their release to players who wanted to go play somewhere else because they were the third-string running back. So we've got we've transitioned from that to coaches and players just saying I for know. any reason, you know I'm not going to be here anymore.
3: But or but, but think about this. But think about this. Jalen Hurts uh, in Alabama they they went with Tua and he said all right mm-hmm. I'll leave I don't want to sit and they go okay great no hard feeling no hard feelings we're going to go. What about did Then he sit for four years, we play one year, and he ends up being one of the best coach players in the uh, yeah. NFL. And and we saw Baker Mayfield. Baker was in, uh, was playing at a smaller school. I forgot right now what it was, and he transferred to a bigger school and got on the field, and he ended up, uh, you know, being a Heisman contender.
10: But, Brian, you know, I'm okay with that part of it because if a kid's going to college, you know, hopefully he's taking advantage of the free education. But if he's also trying to get into the NFL and he's not playing and doesn't see a path to the field, I'm okay with him transferring. I feel better about that than the coach basically coming in and and cutting him from the team. You know, Tom Brady almost left Michigan to go back home to Cal. Yeah. And um, the coach was going to – Lloyd Carr was going to give him the release because he wanted Tom to be happy. Tom slept on it and came back and told Lloyd Carr the next day, I'm going to force my way onto the field and prove that I'm the best quarterback for this team. And he still sat another year until, you know, the great things happened to him his last couple years at Michigan. Um, so there's, you know, play, depending on the players, um, you know, how tough they are mentally and whether they can stick it out yeah. and try to, you know, work their way onto the field. But nowadays with this transfer portal where you don't, you know, remember you had to used to sit out a year when you transferred. Now you just go someplace else and, and you're playing. So it's it's complete free agency in college in college sports now.
3: So And a lot of guys are bowing out of it because of it. They say, see you later now. His son, I don't know if you have you know you can evaluate talent. You've seen it before. You talk to people that do this every day for a living. I'm not sure if this guy's got NFL ability, but it seems like he does. We're showing signs of it. Here's what he said about what's next for him. He's quarterback for his dad now. Cut 45. What was your message to your teammates when you guys took over the ball at the two? At the two, our last thing was Brady mode. That's it. Simple. Brady mode? Tom Brady mode? Brady mode, that's it. You (laughs) left too much time out there. He's been a mentor of yours? Yeah, of course. Yeah,
14: we talk talk after every game. I'm sure he's going to text me in a second, but that's all I was thinking is Brady mode. If he could do it, I know I could do it, and, you know, we just alike.
3: So 43-35, he ends up winning in double overtime. So, and he said that, you know, Tom Brady came out and says, you know, we have to listen to Deion's halftime or pregame speech. I, I wanted to go out and play. So, so far, so good, Gary, right?
10: Yeah, you know, as far as whether the kid can make it to the NFL, I mean, he's six-two, so he's he's got decent size. Um, and from what I've seen so far, you know, he's got really good mobility, and he's got a strong arm. And so, yeah, I would think he's got uh, NFL potential for sure. And you know, we have the rest of the season now for him to really to really grow into it. Um, yeah, I, I would say that Dion is has come up with the blueprint for other programs for quick turnarounds. The, the difference being there's only really one Dion who could be able to track players based on the fact that he was a great NFL player, a Hall of Fame player, one of the best corners ever, um, and he's got this just engaging personality that you feel you figure he can sit in the living room of any high school kid with their parents and convince him that Colorado's the place to be cuz you get to play for me. I, I I think that he, his approach is so different and so fresh in in a way in a way it is refreshing. Um I, I just know that he's ticking people off along the way and really doesn't give a damn about
3: that. <laughs> You're 100% right. Uh a <laughs> couple a, a couple of questions about the NFL. Uh first off, the Giants, a team you know quite well, and you got your book out on the Giants, Only a Giant, A Story of Victory, Tragedy, and Life at the Football. I have never seen a start like this. They had given up 60 points in six quarters without scoring a touchdown, and they're in halftime of game two. Do you have any sense of what happened in that locker room that had them come out and author the big one of, if not the biggest comeback in their history, and beat the Cardinals?
10: Well, Brian, not only had they given up 60 points without scoring a touchdown, they'd given up 60 points without scoring a point. It was 40 to nothing, and then 20 to nothing at the half. I've never, in all my years, I've never seen a team get off to such a bad start, especially a team that was a playoff team last year. And from all indications, nobody was throwing any garbage cans at halftime. But I would imagine that the you know it might not have been not, not it might not be something that can make it onto many videos that'll be on TV because I would imagine that there was some rough language in there, and um, they really saved their season because if they were zero two and going into San Francisco on Thursday night, which it could be a tough game under any circumstances, even if the Giants were two and zero. But if they had gone there at zero two you figure they were coming out of there at 0 and 3 and it's so hard to come back with 3 even that even with a 17 game season i mean they, they saved their season but the the biggest question and the biggest concern is where were they in the first half against what might I be know. the worst team in the league
5: that's a great I mean, point and this is a
10: bad team it's not like what happened against dallas that we've seen dallas you know through the first couple of weeks is the best team in the league and we'll see if they can sustain that. But the Giants were doing that against just a horrible team, where there were a lot of Giant fans at that game. So there's really no disadvantage. You know, it wasn't like they. Arizona has a strong home field advantage, and and they had a problem with the snap count or anything. The Giants were just sleepwalking, and then they woke up.
3: Gary, I got to get you in season. I know, and you know personally, I'm I'm thrilled by it. Uh, Gary, I, I got to ask you real quick about Aaron Rodgers. He says, look, Mm -hmm. don't discount me uh, and don't think I'm going out. Basically, anybody who thought he was going to retire is crazy. And he says, don't rule me out for the playoffs this year. I mean, what is possible? I love the attitude. But what's possible for a 40-year-old with an Achilles tear?
10: Well, I think it's just a way of motivating himself through the rehab, which is a very arduous rehab. Um for a 25-year-old, no less a guy who's going to be 40 in December, Brian, I'll go right on the record right now, and I, I hope you would have me back if I'm wrong. Keep my words. I'll be shocked, no matter how deep Zach Wilson can take Aaron Rod. I mean, the Jets into the playoffs if he even gets there. I'd be shocked if Aaron Rodgers plays one snap this year. I just don't see it happening. Um, players don't, just don't come back that quickly, right? No matter what they surgery was and how innovative the surgery might have been. Players just don't come back that fast from a completely torn Achilles. And listen, I think he gave the Jets fans some hope that he he could come back in January, but after the way Zach Wilson played Sunday (laughs) against Dallas, I'm not sure there could be any playoffs to worry about. Yeah,
3: I just hate to give up on him. Gary Myers, congratulations on your book, Once a Giant, A Story of Victory, Tragedy, and Life After Football, and thanks so much for your insight. Gary Myers, thank you.
8: My pleasure, Brian, as always.
3: Yeah, Brian Kilmead Show.
2: Fast as three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmead.
3: Yeah, the other great game that I, I saw over the weekend uh, was Jacksonville and Kansas City. I mean, Jacksonville's got a little ways to go, but they're not far behind Kansas City. It was finally a full strength. They got Jones back and they got uh, Travis Kelsey back, who's dating. Taylor Swift, who's a really good singer, according to Allison, uh, and very famous. Hey, by the way, uh, speaking of, uh, I'm going to go on stage like Taylor Swift, only I won't sing and I'll have uh, baggier outfits. Uh, I'm going to be talking about uh, Teddy and Booker T, how two American icons blaze a path to racial equality. But I'll be having fun on stage if anyone's ever seen uh, a night that we have. We come out with stand-up comedian Pat O'Rourke, and we'll have a great time, and we'll talk about... Uh, history, what what got America great, from George Washington Secret Six to Thomas Jefferson Triple E Pirates, Andrew Jackson, Miracle of New Orleans, uh, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, uh, the President Freedom Fighter, and now Teddy and Booker T. I'm going to be at the Vogel in Red Bank, New Jersey, November 9th. If you just go get tickets on bryankilme.com, then over to Huntsville, Alabama, on the 18th right at the Patriot Awards, Montgomery the next day on the 19th, then December in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Holland, Michigan on December 16th, Stokey, Illinois on January 20th, and Jolette, Illinois on the 21st. BrianKilme.com.